0: Guys, so for this podcast, I have Tiffany Yu. Um, she is a disability advocate, a three-times TEDx speaker, entrepreneur. She is a podcast host and a trauma-informed human. Um, a little bit about herself is she. She's kind of like me. Um, she's an intro who talks for a living. Um, she lives in San Francisco. First-generation Taiwanese. Uh, Vietnamese-American, and she's a childhood trauma uh, trauma survivor. So in, in this podcast, we talk about um, a lot of things, um, her experiences in this country and in San Francisco and and pretty much with all the situation that's been going on in regards to Asian hate, and and hopefully this, this helps and brings some awareness to, um, to you and your end. So enjoy.
1: I, I think there's a huge opportunity there, and especially – for you, you know, having been on there for a month to be an early adopter mm-hmm. is a really great opportunity to just to start build relation start building relationships cuz that's the whole point of Clubhouse, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people just go to consume content yeah. when in reality like the way you win it, the way you win or I feel like the way you get the most out of Clubhouse is by raising your hand, mm-hmm. contributing where you can, uh and taking some of those relationships offline.
0: Mm-hmm. I completely agree because now at this point in my time I'm starting to see a lot more people that, that I never knew before and now they're starting to look familiar. It's like, oh, it's so and so. It's like what? That's just like such a weird experience and like you said, getting opinions to certain rooms just to kinda hear your feedback. It's like it's its own like family and and I like it personally, even though not everyone's in it, more so because yeah, it's a, it's a whole different level of intimacy that that you can't really get on any other app, maybe Twitter, depending on what kind of, what side of Twitter you, you're on. But I guess that, that, that all varies. It's the closest thing to like a, like a conversation like this in short, it's basically like a podcast on an app. I think that's how, yeah. how the best way to, to refer that personally.
1: Yeah. One of the things I was telling someone is I feel like, and even, and one of the things that I've learned as well, right. is like, As an introvert, it's not that like we want to be alone all the time. Mm -hmm. It's that we really care about the context in which our conversations are happening. So what I mean by that is we might not be joining the 25 person Zoom happy hour, Mm -hmm. but we would really appreciate that one hour opportunity to catch up one-on-one with a friend. And for me, I remember just coming onto Clubhouse and really thinking about now I never feel alone. If I wake up in the middle of the night at three in the morning, I log on to Clubhouse and there's a Taiwan chat going, um, which is where my family is from. So I join and we talk about how, you know, COVID is there and how how it is here. And, you know, I think it takes, in a way it almost like takes a little bit of the pressure off Mm -hmm. of, you know, my quarantine buddies or my friend group, because all of us are emotionally overwhelmed in different ways right now. Right. So to be able to uh, have, have our non-professional support system kind of exist outside of our small network of friends to expand to clubhouse people who have other shared interests, uh, I think is a real, is really powerful about the network too. It's, it's like a podcast that you can participate in is how I explain it to people.
0: Literally it's, it's, it's so crazy. I don't know. Uh, one of the funniest things I ever heard was when I first joined in a, um, into clubhouse, the very first room that, that I went into, um, I will use my friend now, his name is Jonah. He basically said it's like LinkedIn but cracked out. I'm <laughs> like, I mean, and then I, I was like, I didn't even know what that meant. And then I'm like, okay, I see. Cause everyone's more casual. Like, there's all kinds of motivational rooms, um, psychedelic rooms. The um, what's that room with Axel? The Lullaby Room. Like, every- oh yeah,
1: Lullaby Club. That's a good one.
0: How how is it? I have never been on that one actually.
1: Oh, I I like it. Um, it's it's almost like a live concert every single night. Yeah. It's so, but I, I haven't been, I haven't been tuning in because I find that I, instead of going to sleep, I like want to listen to the music. Cause I think they go, they go from nine to midnight Pacific time. Mm-hmm. And so for a couple, for a couple of weeks, I was tuning in every day mm-hmm. for the free concert. And one time John Mayer came in, he performed a song and then he left.
0: That's right. I remember that because because uh, I follow him on Instagram and he posted that and it was just like the craziest thing ever. I was like, wait, what? But I, 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 I didn't happen to be in that room, but I'm just like the whole that's why the whole thing is, is crazy. Like there's been this room with like NFT with like Jake Paul, Snoop Dogg and like 21 Savage and like Mark Cuban. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> it's it's crazy, but uh, it's very cool. It, I, I guess aside from that, for the people that that um, that aren't familiar with their story, do you mind giving a little breakdown if you don't mind?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I am the first generation daughter of Asian immigrants, a Taiwanese immigrant, and a refugee from the Vietnam War. And at the age of nine, I was involved in a car accident where I permanently paralyzed one of my arms, and my dad also passed away. And that kind of became the formidable event in my childhood that really shaped a lot of who I ended up becoming right now, 20 plus years later. So in the decade after I became disabled because of many Asian cultural values that stigmatize and see disability, death and and mental health as taboo, as something that causes shame to the family, I actually never talked about the car accident until you know ten plus years later, and in in this like it was in this it was actually twelve years. So in this twelve year mark, I kind of looked back at my life from nine years old until twenty one, and I felt like I was living as a shell of a person. And I became really curious about what it would look like if I could find a disability community. And and so I, I built one uh, ultimately, which is what I'm still doing today called Diversability. And as a function of creating Diversability, I not only found my voice, but it's also re- where I became proud of my disability identity. So it's really been such a shift from this nine year old girl who didn't even know how to comprehend something so traumatic to you know feeling a lot of shame around it, wanting to hide, feeling like a victim in my own story to now today, you know, seeing myself as the heroine in this journey, wanting to bring as many as many others along with me as I can. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think I think that's beautiful, and that's one of the things that that I saw um, on your website as well. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you too was, I like you mentioned, for most people it's a taboo subject; they don't want to be subject to PC culture. They don't they don't want to offend people what would be the best way to, um, to include people without being offensive from like an outsider's perspective that like we, we don't want to neglect people. We don't want to leave you be. Um, but we just don't know how to uh, approach it.
1: Yeah. So I think, a, I think a little bit of humility goes a long way here. And so what I mean by that is because we're so afraid of offending, we end up not saying anything at all. And, you know, for your for your listeners, like I'm an Asian woman, and if I've learned anything over the past month of the rise in anti-Asian violence that's been happening in the U.S., it's that silence is also a kind of answer, right? And so if I attribute what I've seen over the past couple of weeks from our non-Asian allies and their reaction or lack thereof, uh, or lack of support or stand in solidarity with our community, it's that we got to say something. Um, and this is why I say, um, we're so afraid of offending. So we end up saying nothing, which means our answer ends up becoming silent, which means that we're not really moving the conversation forward. And so when I say like, come into it with a little bit of humility, if, you know, you go and you say something, you you know, and I oftentimes will, will recommend to our non-disabled peers, you know, you can always preface your question by saying, Hey, uh, don't know if this is an appropriate question to ask, but blah, 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 blah. You know, Or, hey, um, you don't have to answer if you don't feel comfortable, but blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if a disabled person then comes back and says, hey, I wanna let you know that what you said was harmful or it was a microaggression, or it could be seen as offensive, instead of getting defensive, responding with, thanks so much for letting me know, I'm listening, tell me more because I wanna do better. Right. Again, it's I think I think we we are attributing being wrong with being a bad person or being ableist, you know, able able is, ableism is the term I use in my work, which means when we place value and worth on a person based on their body and or mind. And more simply put, um, ableism is disability discrimination. And um, and all of us hold some kind of ableist beliefs, right? Because we've been living in a culture that perpetuates ableism in a lot of different ways. You know, even if we think about podcast or club clubhouse, Mm -hmm. uh, it is audio first, right? Which leaves out a segment of the population if we don't include transcripts as
0: well. Mm -hmm. I I completely agree with that. I think, like you mentioned, it's just it's that humility that that helps in and being able to create and forge that bond. But One thing that I've noticed is, uh, and I've mentioned this a lot before in my previous podcast for people that are listening, I'm sorry, but pride is a huge thing that prevents people from having humility. And I think that's where like the major disconnect is, because as humans, we usually tend to have egos and being able to undo that after years and years of, of feeding into that is a very hard process. And it's a it's a very you have to be aware of it first before you're able to even begin to do a 180 on the damage that that's already been instilled on you from your past. I wanted to ask you this in, in regards to like how you've been feeling with, uh, with everything that's been going on in, in the most recent events, how have you been personally? Because that's been something that I've been worried about. And one thing that stuck out with me when you were, when you were talking about that as well was it's, there's this quote, I think it's from Martin Luther King. It's we, we're not gonna, it's one of the things that we're not gonna forget is the, is the silence of our friends the enemies mm-hmm. of our, or the words of our enemies doesn't matter. It's the silence of our friends. And I thought that's, I, I know I messed that up a little bit, but the, the concepts there. So, but yeah, how have, have you been in regards to that personally?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I, I think what I've been doing over the last couple of weeks is co- connecting a lot of the dots. So mm-hmm. what is the most, what I remind myself of is that I cannot single-handedly get people who have do- such deep rooted hate for people who look like me, I can't change their minds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part is really hard, right? Because my disability work, um, so you talk about pride, one of the ways that we build the best allies is through proximity, is through people knowing me and getting to know me and my story. Because instead of being an Asian woman, I then become Tiffany, mm-hmm. who has, you know, all of these multi-layered facets. Uh, and once you know Tiffany, you know, rather than just seeing an Asian woman and othering that person, then you're able to swallow a little bit of that pride and say, this is someone that I actually care about. You know, we've connected on a heart level. This is also what's powerful about Clubhouse as well, too, right, yeah. is is you do create that level of intimacy. And, and this is why I, I, I love hosting our disability rooms on Clubhouse, because we're starting to create proximity with people we've never met before who would probably never opt in to decide to attend a disability event. But back to the topic at hand, which is what's going on with the news. I think for me, there's someone named Michelle Kim and she wrote a tweet the night of the Atlanta shootings. And she wrote, um, I'm gonna write more on this, but I want everyone to know that Asian women have been unsafe in this country and overseas for a very long time. And so one of the things I've been thinking about is not only am I disabled, which is, you know, what I lead with first in my work, but I'm also an Asian woman and I feel terrified and horrified that I feel unsafe in my own city. I live in San Francisco, which is where um, a lot of the attacks have also been happening. The second was again, kind of to this idea of it, it, I'm horrified and it's heartbreaking that people have such deep rooted hate for me just because of my race. And, you know, I go through these waves of feeling angry that that dynamic exists, but also wanting to move to a point of forgiveness of really wanting to understand at which point in their history did they start collecting all of these beliefs that me and everyone who looks like me is the other. And then the third was really, I think, ties into your Martin Luther King quote. That I messed uh,
0: up. I apologize.
1: <laughs> the one, yes. But the one, yeah. I, I think it's like, in the end, we'll never... Uh, in the end, anyway, uh, I, am not, it I was, uh,
0: it was, it both was of like,
1: us can't butcher on the same podcast. But, uh, yeah, no, I was um, like,
0: well, this is why my podcast is not like professional Russian, but like, I just want that human connection, that clubhouse connection. That's one of the things that, that I've wanted, but I know it was something along the lines of we'll, we'll remember the silent silence of our friends in short.
1: Yes. You know? Yes. So, so that takes me to my third point of things I've kind of been both horrified and heartbroken about, which is the actions of the bystanders. Uh, especially in New York City on a crowded subway car a man got slashed across his face no one did anything a woman got peed on um an asian woman got peed on in the subway car no one did anything the most recent one in times square no one did anything as a woman was beaten to the ground so um not only is it the bystanders but it's also it's also the silence of our friends i think about My friends who love Asian women, (laughs) who love Asian culture, who love Asian food, I'd love to see them say something or do something or reach out just to ask if people are okay. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I, one of the many things I think I learned through all of this is that as much as I love being in community with my Asian brothers and sisters, I caught up with my therapist earlier this week, and we really went there. We went to this is what it feels like to really feel so unsafe in my core, right? So um, I do want to make that distinction that it's amazing to have friends and community, but I think at least for me right now, it's even more important to have a therapist, someone who can really make space for the types of things that I'm feeling that I necessarily can't really go into with with other people who are who are feeling emotionally overwhelmed by all of this as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I'm actually really glad that you have a therapist that that you can talk to because, yeah, I think right now is a more it's a more delicate and not even just that, just an important time where you, where you need to be able to talk to somebody because I mean, there's certain things that like you just can't deal with alone, especially mentally, and it's like who. I like am I in a safe space like at certain times like that I I know you you're in a weird spot um another thing that I wanted to get to as well was it I I feel like there's more to support in regard to like sharing a post is there anything that you'd probably recommend or or say that like that we can do to better help because I almost feel like that doesn't really do much I feel like we could do more
1: yeah yeah so one of the one of the other heartbreaking slash horrifying things is what I call racial gaslighting. Mm-hmm. So I have written a couple posts. I similar to you, you know, like I just happen to be Asian, who has a social platform. I haven't, I'm not an activist in this space. I haven't done all the research, mm-hmm. so I feel like I'm learning alongside everyone else as well. Even though th- this is my identity, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people responded to my post saying that. they they weren't racially motivated that racism against Asians, isn't a real thing, which adds to my level of exhaustion. So it's almost like at a fundamental level. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this from a couple, a couple different levels. So if there are people in your network who don't believe that anti-Asian racism is a real thing, uh, Google model minority myth, and educate yourself about the economic disparities that do exist within this community. Um, so that was kind of the and and I was shocked because well I also live in San Francisco which is a very progressive city so I I was I I just assumed that you know when you have a hashtag called hashtag Stop Asian Hate everyone everyone would get on board and educate themselves. So the first is education which you know you're already on board. The second would be. Um, amplifying some of the organizations that are already doing the work. Hate is a virus is a great one. Stop AAPI is another. If you have the financial means, donating to those organizations, because what they're doing is not only trying to help grassroots organizations that are on the ground to help with you know, community buddy systems walking around at night, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but then also uh, on the policy level, making sure that, you know, what's going on on the Hill is increasing resources available for victims and their families, um, increasing the reporting so that people know that this is a real thing. Um, and then, so that that's the donating part. And then I think it's, it's doing a little bit of self-reflection. So one of the things I talk about in the disability space, which will also apply here, is that ending discrimination starts with self-reflection. And what that means is, let me dig deep into if there are any anti-Asian racist beliefs that I hold and better understand where those are coming from. And again, this ties back to what you were talking about with pride, Mm -hmm. right? Some people aren't willing to look in the mirror to say, you know, like I've made comments about how Asian people are good at math Mm -hmm. or, you know, I've talked about how Asians are the model minority, you know, and, and, and the work we can do to kind of unlearn that. So, um, I mean, ultimately, I just want people to not hate me because of my race. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I want to be able to walk outside and feel safe. Um, It's a whole multitude of factors that contribute to my lack of, of safety. Not only is it being Asian. Not only is it being a woman, it's also my my body type. You know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's just a whole multitude of things. So, uh, I I would say, and 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 that's why I like your question, which is like you don't feel like sharing a post is enough. Mm-hmm. Is how can you think about where your sphere of influence is, mm-hmm. and try to do something about that? Right. So you're having me on your podcast right now. Uh, I had like. Similar to you, I had someone named Sam Hyun, who is the chair of the Massachusetts Asian American Commission on my podcast, because he actually works policy, you know, and, and I'm just an Asian creator. And so I wanted to learn more. And so a lot of what I'm sharing with you is what I learned from him, what I learned from hate is a virus, right? So I'm also learning and, and amplifying where I can, because what we also don't want is to crowd a space where people who are already doing the work kind of just need their work to get more, um, to get more, more eyeballs or, um, or more views. But, but yeah, it's really thinking through. And and, and I I actually I call these micro advocacy because they are small, but they really do add up. And so what I've noticed is the majority of my following on social media is actually disabled. And for me to post about anti-Asian violence is getting them to join me as allies, right? Because of the proximity that they follow me because of my disability work, but now they also support me because I'm Asian. And and this this is what I'm going through and this is what I'm experiencing. But I'll also highlight that so many of us within the Asian community are so emotionally overwhelmed and feel emotionally burdened right now because we have a lot of people reaching out to us asking what they can do. And again, I always refer people back to stop AAPI hate and to hate as a virus because they're putting out guides, they're putting out programming resources for all of the different ways. And then the last thing I'll say is there's a nonprofit called I Back, um, and they offer free bystander training. And, you know, oftentimes I think about, I used to think that like my, some of my feelings around being unsafe came from walking around late at night But in New York City, there are people around all the time, and these are still happening, right? So it's almost like even if there are people around, you're still not safe if those people aren't doing something. So um, that would be the most direct thing to do, which is, you know, go volunteer in your community to sign up for a buddy system. Um, I know one's been created in my neighborhood here in case I'm going somewhere and and want someone to be a non-Asian, one of my non-Asian neighbors to be with me. But Again, it's if you see something happen, you gotta say something. Like don't just stand there um and let someone get slashed across the face to then get a hundred stitches. Mm-hmm. He then walked out of the subway car to go find himself help. Like no one, like that to me is so heartbreaking.
0: i i I, I completely understand. and that hearing that story really hurt me and and then hearing other similar stories to that in L.A. and Orange County, it, 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 it does hurt me personally as, as someone that knows exactly what it's like to to have been outed, to have been frowned on to just because I'm not uh, fitting a certain a certain standard. And I haven't really noticed that here is more so been out of state where I really like mm. real, realize the stares like and, and like just the way people act is so different it's not like they're treating you like a human like i'm, I'm down here in los angeles everyone treat, for the most part unless maybe i go to newport or something then maybe i might get a little of what i face like out of state but um i really did like that one point that you that you hammered on earlier when you said um it's think about what your unconscious racism is like for example when you said like um, being good at math or like for me, like always eating beans or whatever, whatever it might be, you know, what, what do you think are other ones that people can ask themselves in order to actually undo that process? Obviously with them having the open mind to listen to this and actually ask themselves that.
1: Yeah. So there, there are two questions. So, um, I, I bring this up because this is some of the anti-black racism work that I did a year ago. Um, and, and here were the two questions. The first question was, think back to the first time you ever interacted or saw an Asian person, what was the context? So just understanding, you know, and, um, it may be, you know, could they, a bit, were they a housekeeper in a low wage job? Like again, that highlights the economic disparity. Um, and then the second is um, to think back to a time when you witnessed anti-Asian racism happening in front of your face, Mm -hmm. maybe it was someone who had a very strong Chinese accent Mm -hmm. and the person serving them or yeah, the, the, maybe let's say they were like at the grocery store and they were trying to ask a question, but because of their heavy accent, um, People around them, or the or the grocery store clerk, just like didn't have the patience for it, right? That's mm-hmm. an example of like a small microaggression. And you shared some of the microaggressions you experienced too, right? When people are like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" Like you look at a place, mm-hmm. right? And those kind of become like death by a thousand cuts, right? So mm-hmm. the number of people who tell me, "Wow, you speak English so well," right? Oh, and I've so when that. we when we yeah. when we jump when we jump to things like that which is, you know, the number of people who make comments about my hair, uh, like, oh, you have amazing Asian hair or the way you speak English is so great or where are you really from, right? Whenever we make comments like that, we are perpetuating otherness. We are perpetuating a narrative that we don't belong. And one of the things that I hope people do in this self-reflection work, and, and, and maybe I'll look online after this conversation to see if I can find anything, but maybe Google, like, anti-Asian or like anti-racism Asian reflection questions or something and and see what comes up. Um, But really like, uh, yeah, again, it's like the death by a thousand cuts, right? Because um, one of the things I want people to realize is I had an incident right here in San Francisco where my friend who's also an Asian woman and I were on our way to our hike, a man drove by us. He rolled down his window he was a white man, a white older man, I'm going to guess maybe in his mid-40s. He rolled down his window and he shouted, go back to where you came from. We don't want you here. And I was born here. And and I don't feel like I need to really qualify that in the context of this conversation because even immigrants belong here, right? Yeah. This is the whole premise of what this country was built on. But the fact that a man said said that to me, a grown a grown man... <laughs> said that to me and my friend that he didn't even know, but intentionally did it, drove right by us, paused, rolled down his window and, and yelled that. Like, I, I don't even know what, I don't even know how to respond to something like that, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that just because of my race, I don't belong here. And, and ultimately, right, the questions for self-reflection and, and all of this, and the whole conversation around proximity and allyship is how can we make it so that more people feel like they belong? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is why we like go find communities wherever we can, because all we want is to feel like we belong somewhere, Mm -hmm. right? We're part of someone's family. You know, if we don't have our own family unit, we go find it somewhere else. So, um, I hope that we can connect on that heart level. I Mm -hmm. would say to all of your, to all of your listeners, But, but yeah, I provided a couple examples of some racist microaggressions that happen a lot within the Asian community. And chances are, you may have heard a lot of those or like, of course you went to Harvard or like, of course you studied economics uh, in Mm. college, you know, Um, I studied finance and accounting, but, but still it's like, and, and what's been interesting is I've, I've been doing a lot of podcasts recently. And, you know, um, again, like I, I, I come at my work from a very dis and my story from a very disability centered perspective, but there was a lot that I did to try to feed into the model minority. Right. I went to Georgetown. I didn't tell anyone about the car accident for 12 years. I worked at Goldman Sachs. Like I have a, I have a LinkedIn that, you know, would make any, any parent proud, Mm -hmm. but underneath all of that was so much heartache um of other aspects of my identity that i was trying to downplay in an attempt to try and fit into this mold which is you know my parents came here my mom came from a war uh to really create a new life for herself and and see if she could create some her own version of the american dream Mm -hmm. and to be told that we don't belong yeah i don't know you
0: know when
1: someone says go back to where you came from I jokingly think, oh, you mean San Francisco, or oh, you mean D.C., which is where my family's from.
0: I do that all the time. I'm like, oh, from uh, you want me to go back to Whittier? That sounds like it's like (laughs) ten minutes away. You want me to, but But, go on.
1: But still, still, it's the death by a thousand cuts, Mm -hmm. you know.
0: The death by a thousand cuts is is extremely interesting to me because. I feel like I've known that like on a subconscious, like mental health level, but I haven't actually put that into words until you actually phrase it like that, if that makes sense. But- yeah.
1: Because what you went, what you and I are actually doing is code switching. Right. We're saying, Oh, that hurts, but I'm going to deflect and, and deflect the conversation somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really makes me think about like, I caught up with my therapist Had We, you know, we, we went into the depths, and then I had a meeting afterward <laughs> and, and we were talking about like some partnership or something. And I'm like, it's so, and it's exhausting to code switch, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you have to present your way, you have to present yourself a certain way to the world in order to, you know, and, and any, and, and you're, what I've noticed is that when we sit in these underestimated or underrepresented identities, we're not given space to fail because we're seen as the exception. We don't fit into those stereotypes, right? All of those little microaggressions that we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And that is a level of code switching that is exhausting. It doesn't give us space to, yeah, it's space to really be ourselves. So I will mention one last thing on this point, which is uh, for those who are either listening, I have very long, thick black hair. And I started thinking about like cutting all my hair off and dyeing it. And I was like, am I dyeing it because I'm trying to not look like I'm I'm letting some external influence change who I am because I'm really proud of my hair. It's very healthy. <laughs> I
0: like your hair. I like your hair um, And then
1: my friend sent me know and she said, Tiffany, don't let, don't let those people bully you into becoming someone that you're not. Mm-hmm. And so I have to remind myself that. Yes, there are people in the world who hate me because of my race. There are people who may feel the same way about you as well, but we still got to show up because we were put on this earth to look the way we are. We were gifted the way that we look, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and, and, and I'm not very religious, but I believe in the universe. Like the universe wouldn't have made me look this way. If this is, if this isn't the experience that I was meant to go about this world with. Um, And I know that's me trying to put like an optimistic spin on something that's really hard, but I also feel really proud of my journey, right? Coming back to this whole idea of pride. I mean, I do feel proud. Um, I feel proud to see how our community is coming together right now. I feel proud that you felt uh, my story resonated enough with your audience to come on to this show so that we could connect, so that we could create proximity, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, you probably wouldn't have picked me if I had a different story or, if, or wouldn't have reached out to me or if, if I or if I looked a different way, you know, so um, I think all of this, all of this happens, happens for a reason. So I'm trying to remind myself that we can exist in these dualities of life, right, to feel so un- unsafe on the one hand and want to change everything, but also be really proud of whatever is showing up right now.
0: I I completely agree. I mean, I I really resonated with the. Um, I think it was the speech that you gave on toxic positivity. And that's when I actually I, and then I ran into you on Clubhouse and I was like, Oh wait, that's her and then I reached out and I was like, Well, I had heard your story already before that and I just I just thought it was amazing and then from there I went down like a rabbit hole of like looking into you and seeing that you were you there's <laughs> there's a, Gold- a lot there's a lot out there. <laughs> there is <laughs> that like- like you're a goldman, you were you were in tech, you were you were doing everything. Um but one of the things that was really interesting right now that you mentioned about code switching, as soon as you put that into perspective i felt like a light bulb like turned on in my head and i i seriously had like tens if not more of previous experiences that i have had that i realized i did that unknowingly that it was because of how to act a certain way in this world to kind of cope with the amount of people that are that are um just demeaning you whether directly or indirectly and that's just something that yeah i mean i've had to grow with but i for the most part i haven't really i haven't really let it bother me unless it's been really like direct so when you were mentioning that one time that somebody had had yelled that you go back to your country i thought about this one time i think about a year ago as well um, when lo- when like Blue Lives Matter and on all eyes Ma- I'm sorry all lies matter and, and Black Lives Matter was like at its peak I've ha- I had like this one experience I was just going on a walk and somebody um, somebody almost ran me over because I was like on like the bicycle lane and they spit at me and I was like oh. mm. and I was like really heated for like 15 minutes but I ended up just having to let it go but at the same time it sucks having to be in that position where you you're kind of forced to have to deal with with other people's hatreds and it, it it's not that it's just turning like that because you were mentioning as well we're all immigrants the whole dream th- everything here was founded on immigrants that what is what else would the american dream be it's it's the chance to fulfill whatever whatever your goals are at at, at whatever cost you want to sacrifice whether you have that driver you don't so that that's one thing that's that's been really on my mind recently especially just just seeing so much aggression so much racism how i know this is a little bit of a touchy subject as well but how did you feel when when trump was basically addressing to the nation as quote-unquote kung flu i that i don't i didn't even know how to feel about that
1: um it's it's been really hard to think of the right words beyond horrified and heartbroken, mm-hmm. because um, so right around at the beginning of the pandemic, when you know our former president was uh, was perpetuating um, a lot of anti Asian rhetoric, I, I did have I did have one of my Asian one of the co founders of Hate is a Virus on my podcast, mm-hmm. and there was a tweet that I came across where someone wrote that. Um, as a leader, like we look to our leaders to see what behavior is acceptable or unacceptable. And when we have a leader who is perpetuating hate and making it okay to single out a group and spread misinformation around, um, around an entire race, uh, it becomes scary. You know, it's like, even, even now, you know, we're recording this in April and, uh, some of us are getting vaccines, and ultimately, all of us who want one will get one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, like it, it adds another layer of fear, which is I not only have fear around COVID, but I also have fear around being harassed or being attacked because of my race. So, um, I, I also want to highlight too that anti-Asian sentiment has been around for a really long time. It didn't just start in the past year with Trump making comments like that. I mean, he exacerbated a lot of it. He made it more acceptable for people to be outwardly racist like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's always been kind of simmering and it's finally like exploded. And it's been interesting because in early February when all of the attacks were happening in the Bay Area, you know, the Thai man who, um, ultimately died, uh, here in San Francisco. I thought that at the beginning of February, we had now raised consciousness and we're in solidarity and we could celebrate the lunar new year together. That was like the big, that, that was like a big event that was happening. And here we are in April and it's still, uh, it's such a prolonged period of violence, graphic violence, um, that I, I don't, I mean, I know, I know because we are resilient humans that I'll get through this, but there is a narrative in my mind every once in a while that says, how much more of this can I take? Um, and, and until, until it happened to me. So I did have an incident back in 2016 where I it was 9.30 in the morning and on my way to work, someone beelined their way over to me and actually punched me in the face and then continued walking down the street. And I was just in total shock. And, and with everything that's been happening over the last couple of months, I'm now putting all of the puzzle pieces together. So I feel like I've been having like a weird, a weird sense of clarity of, oh, that thing in 2016. And like, oh, that thing that happened to me and my friend Like I've experienced direct violence and direct harassment to now reading everything that's happening in the news and all of these graphic videos is that like this, this is not anything new, but now it has enough visibility to hopefully get people like you on board as well, right? Get our white allies on board as well, right? The, the enemy here is white supremacy. Uh, is all forms of oppression, right? It's not turning on other communities of color or other marginalized communities. Um, Unfortunately, there's way too much oppression available for everybody. Um, it It just, again, like, I feel really baffled that people hate me so much. Like, it hurts me to have those words come out of my mouth. You know, and I know it's not me, me, it's like the idea of me and I don't I feel like that's worse
0: <laughs> so I, I guess I just want to say on on behalf of that I'm obviously I didn't I didn't do that but I do apologize because that's got to obviously hurt and on top of not just the physical obviously it's that long-term emotional pain that that comes associated with that so again I am sorry um did he say anything or did he just come up to you when that happened, or? Or uh, yeah, i because I'm really sh- like shocked, and I didn't expect to hear that. That's that's horrible.
1: Yeah, it's 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 something that I it happened in 20, in December twenty sixteen. I used to talk about it a lot, and then it just kind of like faded into the wallpaper. But um, but yeah, may may or may not have been experiencing homelessness. I I don't I don't want to or may and may or may not have been unwell. Um, I think saw an opportunity of someone who looked like they were distracted, came over, did a, did, a, did it. I fell over and I looked back up and he kind of like gestured like, what are you gonna do, Like, kind of yeah. like, so what? And then he continued walking. And I was so shocked. I was really shocked. Um, there was one other woman around um, who was also walking. We were kind of like walking on the sidewalk, but on opposite ends of the sidewalk, she just came over to make sure that I was okay because she was just as shocked. Um, Now in retrospect, I know, like, um, should have gotten her information so that she could have been, you know, a witness, I did file a police report, call the police right away, um, or call, you know, whatever the, just like notify someone right away, so that, you know, they can either survey the vicinity and and other things like that. But for, for about like 45 minutes, I was pretty shocked. And then someone told me that I should call my manager (laughs) told me that I should call the police, which I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point they couldn't really like do anything, but then it was like, do I really want them to do anything? Mm -hmm. But I filed the report because I just wanted people to know that things, something like this happened. Mm -hmm. And, um, in for a period of time, it did impact my relationship with the city. Um, but, but now again, you know, this moment of clarity with my friend's tweet saying that Asian women have been unsafe in this country for a long time. It was like, ding, it was like, oh, back in 2016 when I felt so unsafe, that wasn't necessarily like tied, to, like kind of tied to the assault, but also tied to the fact that I'm a petite Asian woman and that's existed, you know, in all of my adulthood. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm now starting to just, as I mentioned before, put all of these puzzle pieces together. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't think, I didn't think that was race related. And one of the things that I'm also learning in this whole process is how so many of us within the Asian community also erase our own race, right? But now I'm like, what happened in 2016 it happened right around the same area as, you know, this Chinese grandma, uh, UN Plaza here in, um, in in the San Francisco area, happened right around the same area. Um, not to the extent of of hers um, but it happened right and with the string of anti-asian attacks that had been happening they all got grouped together and then I was like oh if mine had happened this year would also be would also be looped right the fact that someone sees someone the way they look and decides this is someone this is this is someone that I am, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm sharing a lot of like unprocessed, un, no, of not course. fully processed thoughts right now.
0: No, of course, I think I think you hit on a great point earlier as well. When you said that when when Trump got into office, that it was simmering, he kind of just exposed what was underneath the pot itself. Um, I guess going back to um, to that situation, though, was that in San Francisco as well? Or was that in a different city? Um, Oh,
1: sorry. Uh, Can you say the question again?
0: Yeah, yeah. Was that in San Francisco, where you're at right now?
1: Uh Yeah, that was in San Francisco.
0: What did the... Why did it say that the cops couldn't do anything? They didn't have, like, any access to, like, cameras to find the guy or... Because it wasn't that long before, right?
1: Yeah, so um, it took me 45 minutes to call the police. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and it happened right by, like, a parking lot that I don't think... There wasn't, like, anything in the vicinity per se, mm-hmm. um, but it was also, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I think I also wanna highlight there is a level of victim shaming that happens, um, which makes it hard for those of us who are already, who have already experienced something emotionally distressing mm-hmm. to then go to law enforcement, you know, and, and, and there's like, there's a lot of debate around like increased, like increased law enforcement, isn't necessarily the answer. I mean, I think that the real answer here is some version of restorative and transformative justice. Right. And at the root of restorative and transformative justice, which I don't necessarily know as much about, I'm still learning, but is, uh, I believe is used in the Oakland area, but is really understanding like, okay, what was the motivation, you know, um, really asking those questions for self-reflection. You know, why do you think it's okay? Like, um, and so what they end up doing is they, um, they end up bringing, um, the people in who, uh, may have may have been the attacker and and they ask these questions to really do this reflection. You know, why did I think that was okay? Mm -hmm. Um, what are the beliefs that I hold around, um, the way that person looks that that made me want to do this or, you know, so, um, that's, that's my ideal, uh, in the interim, you know, I've been seeing people offer like self-defense or, you know, encouraging people to equip themselves with, uh, pepper spray or, or other things. And I'm just like, when someone just like runs up to you and punches yeah. you in the face, I'm not going to be like, okay, here are all the things that I learned, you know, yeah. or like, let me jumble. Um, mm, me and, and, and I don't mean it. to say that like flippantly, but there's just a level of shock that happens. Um, and of course I want to, I would, I I do think self-defense classes or any, I mean, also as a form of exercise, Mm -hmm. any, any type of movement I think is, is helpful for our bodies, um, in terms of even just releasing stress. But, but yeah, I mean, I I think in response to your question, um, now I'm trying to recount something that happened almost five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I, yeah, I, I just remember how much shame I felt by, the person who answered my call at 911. Mm-hmm. Um I've never dialed 911 be- I had never dialed 911 before in my life. I didn't realize that that was something you'd call 911 for, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was just a big learning process for me around like um even if I'm in shock like like retraining or creating new habits around Maybe this is where the real code switch comes in, right? Because I was like 45 minutes in shock yeah. when maybe like if I if I am able to narrow my code switch window, it's mm-hmm. 3 minute shock. Okay, call call the yeah. police. Um, and and of course I'm not encouraging code switching for ever, anyone. but uh, but yeah, there's a logistical part of this that that needs to be dealt with as well, right? You talked about the emotional toll. All of this news is going to take on the Asian community. Also, it's bleeding out into the people we love as well, right? Our families and our friends, right? Because they're trying to create space for us as well. So, I mean, I think it's going to have a domino effect. But, but yeah, I, I, yeah, all these puzzle pieces, I think, I think, starting to come, starting to come together.
0: Talk to me about and and
1: now oh and the last thing oh. I'll say is now I feel like we have much better surveillance mm-hmm. even even than what we had in 2016 right mm-hmm. everyone's got dash cams and um and and what's interesting is when that when the guys uh, yelled at me and my friend we in the in the beginning we were in shock and then we were like we should have filmed that and then my friend was like oh I used to have a dash cam right. Like we immediately thought like, oh, this should be documented. But we missed the opportunity because we were so in shock. So Mm -hmm. again, it's really thinking through like people are like, oh, you should film it. Oh, you should call the police. But there is an emotional reaction that takes many people into freeze right away.
0: I, I, I agree. Um, I did want to ask one thing as well for my listeners, as well as for me in particular, what's, um, what's going on in Oakland in regards to the, um, the policing situation. Cause I'm not totally aware with that myself.
1: Oh, um, I, I think, I think there's, well, so a big part of this conversation is what is happening right now should not be driving a wedge between the Asian community and other communities of color. And, um, and all of us, I think are trying to think through what the path forward is policy, combination of policy change, combination of increased, you know, neighborhood support. Um, and there has been, um, some conversation around increased policing, Mm -hmm. which would have a, a negative impact on other communities of color. So how can we make sure that every, how can we just make sure that Everyone is an ally, and and um, the solutions that are presented don't come at the expense of another community.
0: Okay, um, I guess in in regards to the police reform, do you think that we need like a mixture of community and police, or or what do you think the situation um, would be to get better results than what we're currently getting? Because obviously there's there is a huge I guess, difference in regards to, um, the police helping out the community and then helping out certain parts of the community. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but it's just something that I've been thinking about recently as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I don't have fully formed thoughts on that right now. Mm -hmm. I'm still like, I'm still really emotionally like distraught. Mm -hmm. And I think the hope is for many of us, um, And so I don't know if you saw this in my clubhouse profile, but I was diagnosed with PTSD in 2019 and everything that's happening right now is extremely re-triggering. And so I, I right now am doing what I need to do for my mental health. I'm encouraging everyone else to do what they need to do for their mental health, turn to your coping strategies, turn to your professional support system. Um, But I trust, in the universe, I trust in the people who are grassroots doing the work. And again, I'll mention stop AAPI hate. Mm-hmm. Hate is a virus. Take a look at some of the the things that they're advocating for, and those are, I think, those are likely what I would what I would go for as well. But but I will say I'm just not at a point yet where I have been able to fully process everything that's happened to be able to say what is or isn't the right strategy going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I think increasing bystander training mm-hmm. is super important. Um, I, I think that's something that everyone can do to know how to react in situations like this.
0: You've, you've talked about how com- community is very important before in the past in, in some of the videos that I've seen, what in to the community, aside from like what you just mentioned right now, um, in to like, bystander training and so forth um other than that like what what do you what do you see holds the most value that that helps you out as a person individually or what we can do more of that would help me Mm that would help you or that or that you enjoy that we already do or that we can do more of
1: yeah, I mean, I think for me, I need more non-Asian people really speaking up and speaking out about what's happening. Yeah. Right now, all I see is the Asian community. It's like the community that is being hated on. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't hold as much power as, say, someone like you who is connected and people will listen to you because when people look at me, they just tell me that I'm pulling playing the victim um, and they're gaslighting me. So, um, again, it, it's for me, it's really thinking through when i don't have the emotional energy to show up for things like this where are my non asian allies really mm-hmm. stepping in to fill in the space
0: yeah because one thing that i've seen as well is that i i from my personal perspective i i almost don't like saying this but this is uh, this is objective i feel like people have been almost shoving it under the rug like it's it's like another thing like you said it's i don't know how to explain it but yeah it's they're not taking it as serious because in regards to the asian community normally there's there's not as as um outspoken um words i guess i could say but now that it's like it's boiling out i'm like doesn't that just go to show the severity of where it is if if the Asian community never really speaks out as often and now they're speaking out, how are you to deg- neglect it now, if that makes sense? So to me, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I think, it, I like think it's it just a me. theme
1: of like continued erasure
0: mm-hmm.
1: of our experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm really tired of being erased. Like that's also, um, that also takes an emotional toll as well.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. And for me, it's, it's a it's like a red flag it's like not in a bad way for the Asian community like it's it, it worries me as a person for the community itself and i don't think a lot of people have that perspective hence which is another reason why i brought up these topics that i wanted to hear your perspective i wanted to hear your insight i wanted to put out whatever word i could out there so whoever's listening and, and has an open mind and willing to reflect on this can actually do their part to donate to um to be a part of a buddy system to um, to volunteer, whatever it might be, so that that's just something that's been really important, and and I think we there's too much hatred in this world that I just want to do any little thing that I can, even if it affects like a handful of people, that's fine by me. But I I want to bring awareness awareness to this personally. I guess aside from from this topic, I I did want to say one thing as well, or or ask you one thing in particular. What was the what was the route to becoming a speaker like? Because I noticed that you worked at Goldman, uh, Goldman Sachs, and and you were in tech as well. How, where was that? Where was that gap that that you became a speaker? Where where is that? Sure. So
1: like? um, so I actually have to run to my next meeting. Yeah. Maybe you'll be able to cut this out. Um, yeah. but but for me, I think it all happened accidentally. Mm-hmm. Um. I always call myself like an accidental advocate, an accidental entrepreneur, an Mm -hmm. accidental speaker. (laughs) Um, For me, speaking is a vehicle to share our stories. Mm -hmm. And because I believed in the power of stories so vehemently, that's when I kind of created my own stage in a way. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been it's like, I feel very grateful that this is my life now. Like it's, it's something that I feel very comfortable doing. Um, but it, it really is because I believe in what I'm doing. Right. And, and so, and so what's interesting is like my full-time gig is actually running diversability. It's not, it's not speaking, um, speaking professionally per se, but that is a way that we're able to fund our organization and the community that we're building. Um, and so I, I think, I spend the majority of my time thinking through how can I create more visibility opportunities for the disability community? Mm -hmm. And if someone hears my story and because of proximity becomes an ally and decides to support our work or decides they want to hear other disability stories, this this is how we all win. Right? And so again, I think when you asked earlier, you know, when you were like, Oh, what can people do? I always say like, think of where your sphere of influence is. If you love speaking, like double down on that. If you love writing, double down on that. If you love, you know, like spreadsheets and stuff like that, like double down on that, like be really good at where you, where your strengths are because that's where you'll find like opportunity coming, coming to you. So, um, yeah. So for me, and, and I'm a very informal speaker, I still use filler words like, um, and, you know, and, and all these other things. But for me, it's always, I, I hope that the message still resonates. So, um, so that's really how that came about. Like, I still, I'm still trying to, I think, step into the fact that I am a speaker. Mm-hmm. But I see myself as an entrepreneur first. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I see myself as a disability advocate second. And I mm-hmm. see my, myself as a speaker third.
0: Awesome. Uh well I really appreciated hearing your story and your thoughts and I mean I just wanna end it on this note. You are a great person, I think you're doing amazing things and you're beautiful, so don't forget that. Don't let stupid people change that that perspective because at the end of the day you are you and you were given this look. We were all were by by the universe. So and I really like that you have that positive um, an optimistic look on life because I think we need more of that, especially during this world where it's, it seems a little bit more darker, the lights, what's going to shine at the end of the day. So thank you so much again. Um, I hope you have a good meeting and, and you have a good rest of your day. Okay, Tiffany.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Of
0: course. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye.
0: You me twice now, baby.
1: Me